an exalted life of the illustrious companion Sayyidina Abu Hurairah and I'm on the subsection in which we're taking a glimpse into some of his priceless words of wisdom so it is related that Abu Basra Al-Ghifari Rahmatullahi he returned from Mount Tur after offering Salat there Sayyidina Abu Hurairah upon seeing him and him informing him, he thereupon said, If only I had caught you before you had set out. I have heard Rasulullah say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Do not travel, i.e. for religious purposes, to other than the three masjids. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Ahmed in his Musnad, number 22,730. Abu Dawud at-Tayalasi and Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi stated Sahih in Ahkam al-Janais, page 226. So this Tabi'in from the Ghifar tribe, I believe Abu Basra rahmatullahi he's been to Mantur and he went there because obviously it's a blessed mountain. It's where Allah the Almighty spoke to Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. And he went there to offer salah. So he's been, he's offered salat, and he's come back. Abu Hurairah, when he found out about this, he, he was displeased. He said, if only I had caught you before you had set out. In other words, why didn't you come to me first? And then he quotes a very famous hadith where the Prophet said, do not travel to other than the three masjids. The Kaaba, Masjid al-Nabi, Masjid al-Aqsa. A similar incident took place with Abu Qaz'a, rahmatullahi, and he was rebuked by Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar, quoting the same hadith. Referred to Hafiz al-Azraqi, rahmatullahi, in his Akhbar Makkah, page 304. And Shaykh al-Bani, rahmatullahi, stated Sahih, in Akham al-Janais, page 226. So what's interesting, this was quite common. Many of the Muslims would go there and then the companions would tell them off. Why did you go there before coming to us? So what was the problem? The reason for this prohibition is that setting out on journeys, I usually to visit the graves of the righteous, forms the basis of idolatrous pilgrimages in other religions. Thus, this prohibition extends to all places to which journeys are made just for a religious reward associated with the place visited. So let's break this down. So what is the divine wisdom in why we are not allowed to do this? Because if you look at the other religions, this became a base from which shirk sprouted up. I people started worshipping graves, visiting graves, etc, etc. So, our Shariat could sit at the boat. And the prohibition 
is to with a journey and your intention is for a religious reward associated with the place visited so what's the famous report the famous report is from abu hurair abu hurair radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger said sallallahu alaihi wasallam la tushaddu rihalu illa ila thalathati masajid al masjid al harami wal masjid al rasul wa masjid al aqsa do not set out on journeys except to three masjids masjid al haram ai in makkah masjid al rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam ai in al madina and masjid al aqsa ai in jerusalem this is in sahih bukhari number 281 sahih muslim number 3218 nasai abu daud tirmidhi ibn majah and mishkat so it's recorded in all the six blessed collections is a flawless report so think about this who truly had the best understanding of this hadith it has to be the one who heard it from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and who heard it from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam abu huraira and what did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say don't set out except to three masjids meaning with the primary intention and with a religious purpose with a primary intention and with a religious purpose so what did abu huraira say to that tabi'in who came back from tour is why didn't you come to me first because then he quoted the hadith to meaning that you've done something which the prophet actually clearly disliked or prohibited sallallahu alaihi wasallam <coughs> on a similar theme once umar ibn al-khattab radiyallahu <coughs> he saw some people rushing to pray in a certain area and he just inquired about the matter they said this is a place where rasulullah prayed sallallahu alaihi wasallam Umar radiyallahu thereupon said to them do you seek to establish masjids where there are traces of your prophets alayhi salatu wasalam verily those who came before you were destroyed on account of such similar conduct hence if the salat time becomes due when one is in this area let him pray otherwise let him proceed and continue on his journey This is recorded in Abdul Razak in his Al Musannaf number 2734 Ibn Abi Shaybah in his Al Musannaf 2-84 Fattal Bari 1-569 Sahih Hafiz Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullah states one of the chains of narration for this tradition is Sahih in his work At Tawassul wal Wasila page 203 so it's a flawless report so what happened Amir al Mu'minin Umar radiyallahu saw people and they were like crowding around an area is what they doing and they said oh there the prophet prayed there the prophet said allah said prayed there so people want to you know go there what did he say umar radiyallahu are you seeking to establish masjids where there are traces of your prophets those before you were destroyed because of this meaning the jews and christians if the prayer time comes and you're there then pray otherwise move on now why is it fascinating that umar did they said this because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that umar is the padlock to the fitna he could the fitna at the bud in imam ahmad in his muslim so now you have to be careful here there's the other extreme and some people say you can't go to these places whatsoever but as always islam the correct understanding is in the middle so how have the scholars understood these reports 
it is very important to point out this prohibition is when one travels with this as a primary intention i the main reason for traveling however if one goes to these blessed places whilst there was another primary reason for traveling there there is no harm indeed it is even recommended have you understood so for instance let me give you a simple example you're going to perform the hajj that's your primary intention then you go to the, all the holy sites no problem if you are just going to the holy sites except the haram that is what is frowned upon because that's now your primary intention umrah being the same going to our beloved messenger's masjid sallallahu alaihi wasallam visiting family seeking knowledge so you, this is your primary intentions so for instance you're going to see your family i haven't seen them for a time and then you are told by people oh there's some places where the awliya are buried no problem your primary intention was to see your family but if you got a booked a visa and a flight just for that reason this is what is either disliked or prohibited it cannot be the primary reason If your primary reason is shariat based it is recommended for you to go to those places mm-hmm. so what's strange mm-hmm. so let me give you a strange scenario mount tour they say is in egypt but now they've changed their tune book whatever the case let's say it's in egypt if your primary intention is to offer salat on mount tour you should not set out on that journey mm-hmm. because your primary intention is a religious visit expecting reward this is what the prophet prohibited sallallahu alaihi wasallam but look how strange if you're in primary intention you just to have a break a vacation in egypt just to you know have a you know that's your primary intention then you can go and visit right so this is why it's very important to get the commentary of these reports so now how is that the understanding How could this not be the understanding when Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu related that he himself had gone to Mount Tur where he met Qab al-Ahbar and sat with him. So think about that. Abu Huraira has told the Tabi'in, why didn't you come to me first? Why didn't you go to Mount Tur? And then you got another report where he's gone to Mount Tur and he's met a Tabi'in. Qab al-Ahbar related to him from the Torah. And Abu Huraira related to him from Rasulullah on Mantur. Refer to Imam Malik's Muwatta, Nasai, number 1430, Abu Dawood, number 1046, Tirmadhi, number 491, Ahmad in his Musnad, Mishkat, number 1359. So what does that mean? <coughs> It means both Abu Huraira and Qa'ab were on Mantur, but that was not their primary intention. So if you were to ask me what was Abu Hurairah doing in Egypt maybe he was visiting companions maybe some family members you understand or maybe even jihad taking place Qab al-Akhbar exactly the same but they both were on Mount Tur so if you are foolish and say you cannot go to these places at all and you quote the hadith of only the three masjids you now have a very serious problem The hadith that you're narrating is from Abu Huraira. <laughs> and he, the one who's narrating, according to your understanding, has made a mistake. <laughs> so obviously, 
the response is he's not made a mistake. You've made a mistake in understanding this hadith of the Prophet. So to reiterate, what is the harm? The harm is, the scholars point out, is that this setting out on journeys, i.e. primary intention, will form ultimately the basis of idolatrous pilgrimages. If you understood, this is why now the whole Muslim world is infested with this. People are going with their primary intention to go to the Oliya's graves. Right? And then what happens there? No Quran and Sunnah, right? So what would have cut it at the boot? Your understanding of the hadith of the Prophet. Have you understood? So this is again the important uh, narrative with regards to the mat. Another report. So this is recorded in Hakim in his Mustadrak 3 68. Bazaar in his Kashif al Astar 1 197. Imam Tahawi in his Sharh Ma'ani al Athar number 1093. Al Haytami in Majma al Zawail 1 309 stated Hassan. Kohail ibn Harmala al Namari rahmatullahi he relates. Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu he came to Damascus and stayed with the family of Abu Qulthum al Dosi, aye from his own tribe. Stop in the report. So Abu Huraira, he's gone to Damascus. Don't forget, he stayed in Al-Madinah. So he's traveled from the Hejaz to Syria, Damascus. And who is he gone? He's gone to his, he stayed with his family from his tribe, Abu Qulthum. In Damascus with his family's tribe. Abu Huraira then came to the masjid, and he sat on the western side of the masjid. People were discussing Salatul Wusta i.e. the middle prayer in the Qur'an, Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2, verse 258. And they were differing with one another regarding it. So what's happened? There's a verse in the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, God your praise, especially Salatul Wusta. So Allah Ta'ala has mentioned something very interesting. God your praise, but He's isolated one. Especially Salatul Wusta. So what is Salat al-Wusta? So Abu Huraira who goes in, masjid, in the Masjid of Damascus and they're differing. So Abu Huraira who said whilst we were sitting in the courtyard of Rasulullah we also differed with one another regarding it just as you yourselves are now differing. Amongst us was a pious man called Abu Hashim ibn Utbah ibn Rabi'ah ibn Abd Shams who said he would go and find out which position was correct. So what's happened? Look how beautiful. Abu Huraira sees the kind of disagreement and he says to them, this happened to us, the companions of the Prophet. We were discussing this and we didn't know what Salat al-Wasta was. But then he says, one of the noble men amongst us, Abu Hashim ibn Utbah ibn, ibn Rabi'ah, he went. He was a man who was bold in Rasulullah's presence. Thus he went to him and asked permission to enter and he was allowed. When he later returned to us, he informed us it was Salat al-Asr. When he later returned to us, he informed us it was Salat al-Asr. So Abu Huraira, what was his understanding? Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, God your prayers, especially Salatul Wusta. 
Why has Allah the Almighty not called it Asr? Why is it called the middle prayer? <coughs> the scholars, they say, because this is a prayer in which you are engaged in your worldly activities. Therefore, it's easily missed. And in this part of the world, <coughs> you notice this is the case because now it's very short, the timing. It's Asr and Maghrib, very short period of time. So you have to be very careful. <coughs> so Allah says, Guard that prayer. So Asr has been given an honorable mention separately from the other prayers. But other views mention is Zuhr. <coughs> so what did Imam Tahawi say? Imam Tahawi, he gave a very beautiful answer to this. So Imam Tahawi in his Sharh Ma'ani Al-Athar number 1100 to 1101 he said, if someone was to ask, why was the Asr prayer called Salatul Wusta? Then let it be said to him, there are two opinions about this. So Imam Tahawi, he was an Imam of the Hanafi school. Initially he was from the Shafi'i school, but he later became uh, adherent to the Hanafi understanding of the Quran and Sunnah. So he said, there's two opinions why Asr <coughs> is Salatul Wusta. <coughs> Firstly, some people said that it was called that because it lies in between the two prayers of the night and the two prayers of the day. So this is the simple explanation. The two prayers of the day are Fajr and Zuhr. Two prayers of the night are Maghrib and Isha. Uh, Maghrib and Isha. So what's the middle prayer? Asr. That's a simple, because that's one clarification. But then he said something very interesting. Others have said, and they've transmitted, meaning there's a tradition on this. And I'll give you the share. Abu Abdul Rahman Ubaidullah ibn Muhammad ibn Aisha rahmatullah who was one of the teachers of Imam Ahmad and Imam Abu Dawood rahimahumallah, they both related. Adam alayhi salatu wasalam was pardoned at the time of Fajr. Thus he prayed two rakats. And this thus later became the Fajr prayer. Ishaq, uh, sorry, Ishaq alayhi salatu wasalam. Well, I put in brackets, the majority view, it was Ismail alayhi salatu wasalam. But the tradition says Ishaq. <coughs> Ishaq alayhi salatu wasalam was ransomed at the time of Zuhr. Thus Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam prayed four rakats and this thus later became the Zuhr prayer. Uzair was resurrected and was asked Surah Al-Baqarah Surah 2 verse 259 How long have you remained here? He replied Yawma a day But then he looked at the sun and added Or a part of a day Surah 2 verse 259 Uzair then prayed four rakats and this thus later became the Asr prayer it is said that either Uzair or Dawood was forgiven at the time of Maghrib. Thus he got up to pray four rakats. However, he became tired and remained sitting after the third. Thus Maghrib became three rakats. The first to pray Isha was our own Prophet Rasulullah 
That was Salat al-Wusta. Imam Tahawi, he went into detail. He goes, there's two reasons why it's called Salat al the middle prayer. It's because it's in the middle. Fajr, Zohr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, middle. But then he calls a very interesting report. Now look at the chain. This is why I mentioned the chain because you need to know this. This is authentic. Imam Abu Dawood, one of the six famous muhaddits, and the teacher of Imam Ahmad, Abu Abdul Rahman, Ubaidullah ibn Muhammad ibn Aisha, they're both related. Now think about that. They're muhaddis of the highest rank. They're narrating this. Both was interesting. They didn't relate it back to the Prophet. So what does that mean? It means they were happy with this. But they feared there may be a problem going back to the Prophet. But if an Imam of Hadith and an Awliya Ikram combined make a statement, you realize this must be true. So what did they say? Adam was pardoned at the time of Fajr. So what does it mean, pardoned? The Adam alayhi salatu wasalam ma'asum. It means when he ate from the tree. So what's our understanding of him eating from the tree? And there's two simple examples, simple explanations. One is he forgot. The Quran says he forgot. And the other verse in Surah Taha said he wasn't determined. He wasn't determined. And Ibn Abbas explained he was not determined to disobey. <laughs> That's what he means. He wasn't a deliberate you know, disobedience. So Allah Ta'ala caused him to forget. Our prophets are made to forget so that we benefit. But because of his maqam, they consider this to be great failings. So what did he do? He was sent down to the earth and he's never seen night. So it's dark. <laughs> So imagine, you know, if you really think about this, fully grown man, our you know beloved grandfather, he's never seen night. So he's thinking, what is this? But when he sees the beautiful, you know, break of dawn, in gratefulness, he offers two rakats. The authority stated that became fajr. That's why we offer fajr. Think about, look at, you know, look at the beautiful history of the fajr prayer. It started with the first man. Then he says, Ishaq was ransomed at the time of Zohar. So, leaving the ikhtilaf, it was Ismail. But the report says Ishaq. And there is a difference of opinion. Both the majority say Ismail. But the report says Ishaq. It doesn't really matter. It was the time of Zohar that the sacrifice was taking place. Ibrahim prayed four rakats. Because he was so happy. Allah Ta'ala has accepted the sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice his son. Think about that. Every time you pray Zohar, you should be remembering the sacrifice of Ibrahim. <laughs> be honest. Would you even, how would you have linked that any other way? Asr was Uzair. So, putting it in very brief, he came to Jerusalem, the report says, and it's been destroyed. You know, the unbelievers have come and ransacked it. Now, this is important, especially in today's day and age. 
if he gets ransacked again, we've got precedent. But we're not prophets. A prophet went and he was devastated. He saw the holy city in ruins. So he says, how will Allah Ta'ala, he just thought it. How will this city come back to life? This is the Qibla. So what happened? Allah Ta'ala caused him to go to sleep. <laughs> so he had a mule with him and he had some food. And he fell asleep. This is in Qurtubi in his tafsir. And he sleeps for a hundred years. His mule's wasted. Just bones or maybe, you know, whatever. His food is still fresh. So when he arrives, you know, he wakes up. And then he's asked in the Quran, Kam How long have you uh, remained here? <laughs> so he looks at the sum. He goes, Yoma, a day, or ba'da yom. Just, you know, maybe a few hours. Allah says, You remain a hundred years. Then the Quran says, Look at your mule. Gone. Look at your food, it's fresh. Then he said, I know now that Allah has power over all things. So why did Allah make that happen? Because he was thinking in his blessed heart, how is this city going to come to life? It's dead. So Allah then made him die, brought him back to life, and made the mule go and kept the food fresh. I now know. In other words, Allah has clarified. So when was the Asr when he resurrected? Asr. And he offered four rakats. And the Hadith says, this became our Asr. SubhanAllah. Then it mentions, Ozer or Dawood, was forgiven at the time of Maghrib. So how, what does it mean? Forgiven for what? So if it's Dawood, it was the incident in his mihrab. So you got two versions. One is totally unacceptable. Mm-hmm. One narrative says that he, Billah, is in the Bible, but we reject it. <laughs> he goes, he was on top of his palace and he sees his right hand, one of his general's wives naked having a bath. <laughs> and he fell in love with her. Then he says that he sent an army out and he told the general, make sure you fight bravely. Because he wanted to get rid of him. So he went out, he was you know, martyred and then he married. Allah Ta'ala then rebuked Dawood because that was his mistake and he prostrated for it. So what was the, what, the response is, you know, what, where do you start with that narrative? It's not like, well, first of all, doesn't Allah Ta'ala protect his prophets? That's the first thing. Secondly, did you want to get rid of a companion? What fault has he committed to get to marry his wife? Everything about it, even a righteous man, you think he wouldn't do that. But anyway, it's in the it's in the Bible. His mihrab, this is what happened. This was in Masjid al-Aqsa. It's still there. The, the mihrab of Dawood, And what he did was, he arranged that in that blessed mihrab, there would be dhikr taking place 24-7. So either he would be doing his worship, or maybe one another family member, 24-7, it was going on. And in his blessed heart, he got happy over that. <laughs> so Allah didn't like that. He sent two angels, and they climbed into the mihrab, meaning it, was a, you know, it wasn't an easy access. And Dawood stopped his worship, The two men goes, don't worry, we're not here, we don't nothing to worry about, we've got a problem. <laughs> And then one of them says, 
you know, I've got one goat, my brother's got 99, and he wants to take my goat. Is that just? Is that fair? So Dawood alayhi salatu goes, no, he goes, this is injustice. Then the Quran says, he fell into prostration. Why? Because he judged himself. What was the judgment? Because he linked the worship to himself. You understand? He linked all of the worship of his family to himself. He should have been to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he prostrated. So here, when was that? Maghrib. And then the report, look how interesting. He goes, he wanted to pray for, but he was exhausted. So what caused him to be exhausted? Because he was doing that worship. And then obviously, when a, when a prophet grieves, it takes too much out of them. So he could only manage three. That was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he goes, that became your maghrib. So think about the history of the Salat. We do every single day. We just go through it like a mechanic. <laughs> mechanical motions. It's all linked to the prophets. And isn't this beautiful da'wah to non-Muslims? Why do you pray five times? Mm. He goes, because we follow the prophets. Because how is it linked to the prophets? Sit down. Let's discuss it. But then the report finishes. What does it say? The first to pray Isha was Rasulullah. Isha is only for us. Look how strange that is. And there's a famous proof for that. What happened? The Prophet once came very late for the Isha and some of the Sahaba actually fell, fallen asleep sitting. And the Prophet said, Subhanallah, nobody has ever prayed at this time. In other words, you are the only ones who have ever done this. And you're so proud of them. Why? It was Isha. And you get more reward for delaying the Isha in congregation. It's actually better to delay it. So in winter, this is what's interesting. People pray Isha early. No problem. You know, as long as it's in time. But then you think, well, what are you going to do? Well, he's making it a bit later. No harm in making it. And you get more reward. You know, mashallah. Why? You know, this is what Allah, Allah loves. Then look what the hadith finishes with. فَلِذَلِكَ قَالُوا أَصْصَلَاتُ الْوُسْطَ يَأْصَلَاتُ الْأَصْرِ For this reason, Asr was the middle prayer. The report explains because there was five prayers mentioned. What was the middle one? The one of Uzair. Asr. And then Imam Tahabi humbly said, this was the view of Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Abu Yusuf, Imam Muhammad. <laughs> and then after that, you think, well, just lower your head in it, right? You know, Salat al-Wusta, according to three of the Imams, was Salat al-Asr. So now, just to add this to finish, what is special about Salat al-Asr? There's <laughs> a hadith, and this is a very interesting report. The hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. And the gist of the hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi he said that there are angels that descend and ascend at Fajr and Asr. So, putting it in my own words, simple words, they swap shifts. At Fajr, the angels of the night then ascend. And the angels of the day descend at Fajr. And they swap shifts again at Asr. When exactly does that swapping of the shifts take place? During the Salat in congregation of Fajr and Asr. That's the time it takes place. Then the Hadith says, the angels of Fajr ascend. And Allah the Almighty and Glorious asks, how did you leave my servants? The angels say, we've left them, they're offering Salat, oh my Lord. Then at Asr, the angels descend and the angels of the day ascend. 
The angels are sent, Allah Ta'ala asked them the same question. How did you leave my servants? Hmm? The angels who were sent it say, we've left them offering salah. <laughs> this is the hadith. What is the amazing thing about this hadith? Two things, amongst others. First of all, doesn't Allah the Almighty and Glorious know what His servants are doing? It's not like me and you. We ask because we don't know. So when He asks the angels, what are my servants doing? Doesn't He know? He goes, oh yeah, that's true. He doesn't know. Well, why is He asking that? Because He loves Fajr. Asr. He loves Asr. Second, this is very important. The angels look at their love for us. They know you've been a naughty boy. They don't mention none of that. Because we left them playing and we've left them playing. Allah Ta'ala doesn't say to them, well, that's because they're playing. But what were they doing, you know, before that? So they're giving you an excellent report. And what gives you an excellent report? If you play Fajr and Asr in congregation, the scholars say you'll be forgiven. So this is showing the superiority of these two prayers. I Asr being one of these great prayers. I the congregational prayer. So note again, these prayers, you shouldn't take them lightly. They're very dear to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's a warning to finish. In Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet sallallahu he said, whoever misses the Asr prayer, he loses his deeds. He loses the entirety of his deeds. Two ways the scholars interpret this Sahih Hadith. One is you've lost all your deeds if you missed Asr. The other is you've lost your deeds for the day. Whatever the case, why Asr? The Prophet says Zohar, Fajr, Asr. So there's something about Asr that we need to be uh, very particular about. And Allah Ta'ala prepares a feast a special feast for those who attend the Fajr and the Asr prayers in paradise. Recorded in Sayyid Bukhari. So all I mentioned again today was a few of the blessed words of wisdom of the great Sayyidina Abu Huraira. One with regards to traveling to holy places and the injunctions therein. And the second with regards to Salat al-Wusta. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Samana bihamdi zamanaka Allahumma bihamdika ashru la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka atubu ilayka wa dhikrullahi minash shalihin wa ala rabbika ladhi al-izzati amma yasifun wa salamu ala rabbil salim walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin bismillahi rahmanir rahim wal asr insan lafi khusr alladhina amilu wa amilu salihat wa asr al-haq wa ahlu sabr sallallahu alayhi wa sallam